Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Adam. G'day. Back again for another week. Uh, yep. Pete is back, I think, tomorrow. I probably should know that as the uh, host of the show, uh, co-host of the show. But uh, Pete back tomorrow. He's back next week. So, Adam, thank you for joining week. us. It's your last week. We'll get into that. Super fun show for you guys coming up. We are going to be talking to Matthew Lesh again, the head of research over at the Adam Smith Institute. It's been a whole two weeks since he's been on the show. We've missed him terribly. But we're going to be talking to him about... Uh, this issue that just gets bigger and bigger every day of uh, academic freedom and free speech at Australian mm-hmm. campuses in the wake of uh, Confucius centres and now with uh, these pro-Hong Kong protests that are starting to get shut down and stuff like that. So I'm going to be talking to Adam about all that stuff. We're also going to be talking to, this was fun, a young entrepreneur from Queensland, Henry Spinks. He's got, he tried to get a car company, but uh, basically a chauffeur business off the grounds, ran into all this government red tape. So I'm going to be talking about that with him. Also got the quick we're going to be talking about press freedom, the cash ban, anything that on the list that you're particularly looking forward to, Adam? Oh, there's a fair bit. Uh, we've got Qantas and their climate change yes. uh, endeavours. Endeavours uh, is a good word. We've got some good culture picks this week. We do indeed. All right. It's uh, be good. Yeah, yeah. So fun show. Uh, let's get into it. So I think the big story this week, for especially for what the IPA talks about, was that the press freedom inquiry started. So this was a thing that got announced in the wake of the AFP raids on the ABC and all of the stuff that went down over there. So the inquiry started... Um, And it's interesting because we've got all these media executives talking about the need for free speech and the need for freedom of the press. And it's a relief to finally hear the media en masse call for more freedom of speech, which doesn't usually fit the narrative of what goes on in the freedom of speech discussion in Australia. it's nice to hear. It's refreshing. It is good. So finally we can talk about, hey, what should people talk about openly and what should the government crack down on or shouldn't the government crack down on? Um, But the one thing that, you know, the IPA thinks about this and that I think about this is like, it's all, you know, it's awesome that we're talking about press freedom. Mm-hmm. It's awesome that we're having an inquiry to say, how can we make this stronger? But it's another thing that, you know, the press sort of turns away from other freedom of speech issues like 18C yep. and a few of these other things. Uh, they just don't want to talk about that. They want the press freedom for themselves. Uh, but when you talk about the comments that get posted on the articles, that's the kind of stuff yeah, that they go, which hmm, makes no sense. Not so sold on. So it's going to be really interesting. The IPA put out a media release uh, on it a while ago talking about the need for more freedom of speech. So you can go to, oh, it's on the screen now for people who are watching on YouTube. You can go to ipa.org.au to read all that there um yeah so it's awesome to think about but all i can see happening is that the af like uh the the inquiry is going to come back with recommendations that will stop the afp ever rating yeah the abc again but that'll be that's it it. yeah i'm kind of worried we're going to get this kind of watered down version of freedom of speech like you know what a a lot of the left think is freedom of speech kind of not that far from what we've got now you know we've got laws like adnc yeah stuff in now and yeah i'm worried we're just going to get a bit more of that and they're going to call it freedom of speech and yeah. say, there you go, that's yeah. it. I, I Look, I hope I'm wrong, but I never am. So that's the, just the thing we're going to have to deal with. Inconvenient. All right, there uh, we go. Now, Adam, you want to talk to us about this yeah. cash ban? So it came up that the government apparently is trying to push legislation which will ban cash transactions over $10,000 uh, in order to prevent tax and money laundering and criminal activity. And... Uh, there's a pretty hefty fine for it. It's a punishment of two years jail or $25,000 fine. And I guess, you know, my take on it is no one blames them for trying to stop criminal activity. As IPA fellow uh, Matthew Lesh says, you know, they're genuine goals. Uh, but what we can blame them for is how they're doing it. Like this is a huge invasion of our privacy. And I guess 
on top of that as well, I can't really see it working. You know, criminals who are, you know, doing all this stuff, this isn't going to stop them. They're not scared. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I don't want to be the person that has to tell the government about cryptocurrency, mainly because I don't quite understand it myself. Yeah. But like that is a thing that criminals will be using or yeah. they'll find they will find a way to do crime. Yeah, <laughs> and they're already like the stuff they're doing's already got, you know, hefty punishments yeah. on it. A $25,000 fine isn't going to they're not going to, you know, Quit yeah, exactly. Up, quit shop and just leave. Well, it's like, all right, fine. Let's go back to, uh, you know, legal business. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like it's going to um, infringe on a lot of freedoms for regular Australians mm -hmm. and it's not going to do a whole lot to stop criminal activity. But as a holder of some Bitcoin still, mm -hmm. it's been a few years. Oh, it's yep. been some bad few Hold years. Hold on. Hold on to it. You never uh, know. Any p further movements that governments want to make that's going to incentivize people to adopt Bitcoin and make me rich, I am fully in support of. So Even if it's while, yeah, criminals. It, well, if it's like philosophically, I'm against the government cracking down on this, but practically for my own back pocket, I like this. Yeah, so okay. Very uh, tumultuous times well rounded in my head. Uh, argument on your side. Yeah, exactly. Either, I win either way, yeah, which good. is how I like to put these things. Uh, cool. So, yeah, if you wanted to uh, learn more about that, go to our Facebook page. So we had, yeah, as Adam said, Matthew Lesh would talked about it, as did Kurt Wallace, mm -hmm. and we shared all that on our Facebook page. So if you didn't want to learn more about the cash ban, go uh, to the Facebook page. All right, so the third one I want to talk about, which uh, you brought up earlier in the show. So a few years ago, 2016 to be precise, mm -hmm. Alan Joyce, uh, who's the CEO of Qantas, gave a big speech talking about the challenges that climate change poses to uh, airline travel. And he talks about how there are 50 years of proven fossil fuels left. Airlines are the first industry to voluntarily agree to sectoral change to climate change. So he's all on board. Yeah. Until it gets to hurt his back pocket. Because now he's come out this week and he said we should cut back on flight shaming. That's a direct quote, flight shaming. <laughs> uh, and says we don't need taxes on additional um, flight travel. Now, yep. this is coming on the heels of like, there's a few movements about it because I think, yeah, France has last month announced an eco-tax on all flights from French airports, mm -hmm. which would raise $300 million a year. So Alan Joyce, all about talking about climate change until it's going to hurt the business. And then he's like, whoa, guys, let's not fly. <laughs> let's change. just let's take not it change. back a little bit. Yeah, I thought we we're out on shaming as a society. We don't need a flight. Change. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I like how pretty much we talk about this. Uh, you weren't on the show, but Peter and I were talking about this when David Attenborough said mm -hmm. we need to cut back on flights or like make it more expensive to have flights. And then people get into this when they say we need to divest from exporting coal to poor nations. Yeah, yeah. It's like, can you guys come up with an uh, like a concept that stops emissions rising that doesn't also make life suck for poor people? Yeah, well, because that's the thing, I guess. I think we've come to the conclusion that we can't get rid of all emissions, right? Yeah. You know, there are some things that, you know, are just part of our, you know, our world now that we can't get rid of. And I yeah. think flights have come to be one of those things, you know, people need to fly places. It's important to our economy, yeah, yeah. important for our business. Yeah. And if you raise the taxes on it, rich people are still going to be able to fly. Yeah. It's the poor people that it's are going to be like, ah, it's becoming too expensive. I don't want to do it. And, and they don't get to improve their lives. Yeah. And that's, I guess, you know, what people are always arguing for is how do we make the lives of you know, less well-off people better. And, yeah. But yet they're still yeah, exactly. coming up with ways to yeah. make it harder. You're going to have to make a choice. All right, we should get on to our Heroes and Villains segment. Sorry, uh, the Grunt the Pig Freedom Award for people that don't know. <laughs> One of our favourite segments here. So basically people that have stood up for freedom, stood up for liberty, as would Grunt the Pig, uh, famous pig. Go back in the history of the show if you want to read more about the pig. So first off, I want to update from last week. So last week I shared the tale of Nancy Segula, who was my 
Freedom of the uh, sorry, my hero of the week for Freedom, who would not stop feeding stray cats in her area, and she was sentenced to jail time. So update: no jail time. The judges have overruled that, but uh, she's been giving another citation, and should she violate the order, she would be going to jail. And Adam, if I may, which predict, is what happened last time, it's going to happen again. Yeah, <laughs> like, last time they said if you do it one more yeah. time. We'll send you to jail. Look, spoiler alert, that woman is about to feed some stray cats at celebration. <laughs> she might even feed some more. Yeah, yeah. She's going to have a big party she at her house. She might move on to dogs as yeah, well. She's wild. But anyway, this week's Hero of the Award, Hero of the Week Award, Sarah Silverman, famous comedian, uh, big fan. So Sarah Silverman was on the Bill Simmons podcast, one of my favorite ones, by the way, uh, and she was talking about how she recently got fired from a movie because the producers found a sketch from 2002, I think it is, uh, where she wore blackface for a sketch. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we can't be with you, so you're fired from the movie. So the thing is now that I get from this is that no comedian can have ever made a mistake in the history of their lives. Like no. you see Kevin Hart gets fired from the Oscars for tweets he made how, how long ago. Sarah Silverman gets fired for a sketch from 2002. It's like, you know, every, like you can't be trusted to be funny yeah. unless you have a completely spotless record of never offending anyone. And a complete idea of, you know, what's going to be offensive in the future in 10 yeah. years You've got to have all of that in mind. Yeah, if you exactly. Want to be a comedian. No matter how much you apologize, no matter how many other causes you attach yourself to, if we find one thing that we don't like, you're gone. Yeah, and so that's just the way comedians society is need to right be able now. to see the future. Basically. Yeah, so exactly. So Sarah Silverman says um, a really cool quote here. So she says, "I think it's really scary, and it's a very odd thing that invaded that's invaded the left primarily. The right will mimic it." righteousness porn it's like if you're not on board if you say the wrong thing if you had a tweet once everyone's like throwing the first stone look how righteous that everyone's saying look how righteous i am and now i'm going to press refresh all, all day long to see how many likes i can get in my righteousness which is exactly the culture it's like yep. look uh i am going to yell at a celebrity and everyone's going to know how good i am because i did that yep no i agree yep. sorry sarah silverman that is my hero of the week all right, nice one. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> All right, well, my one is a much broader yeah. group. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we talked about um, the protesters in Hong Kong and you know what they're going through and what they're doing. And uh, a video came up this week of them all singing the song Do You Hear the People Sing from yeah. Les Mis, if mm-hmm. you uh, you know it. Yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a nice sight to see, a very, you know... Yeah, in a, in, a, in a sea of very concerning videos coming out of Hong Kong, this is this one we're like, oh, that's, that's awesome. All right, yeah. so I think we'll play it now. Yeah, so for people that are like listening and not watching on our YouTube channel, so if you're like listening on your phone, there is like a thousand people singing that in the ha- airport. It is a huge scene. I kind of want to know, do you think they learnt the words for this protest? Yep. Or did they already know the words? Did they have so much time while they were protesting that they could learn the words? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's a pretty universally known song. And no Saul, who's manning the tech test today, had absolutely no idea which the chorus was. So, uh, yeah, it could be any one of those things. Uh, All right, so we'll now cut it over to the villain segment. So this is for people that have not stood up for uh, heroism. They've stood for tyranny. This is a Walter Peck Freedom Award. Uh, And I want to nominate Gwent Police. Now, this is a story that went pretty viral. So Gwent Police over in the UK, 
they, a drug dealer was on the loose. So they put up a photo of the drug dealer on Facebook and said, uh, if anyone knows where he is, can you make a comment? Now, for people, again, for people that are watching on YouTube and hopefully people know exactly what I'm talking about, but this guy's haircut is out of control. It is The man is completely bald except for the very back part of his head, which seems to be in like two spikes. So he looks like he's got bunny ears on, but it's just mm-hmm. his hair. It's wild. So... 89,000 comments later, like the internet has uh, gone off this guy. But anyway, so it, that should be it. It's like, yeah. hey, we find it, try to find a drug dealer. Here's a hilarious mugshot. The internet's going to internet and that should be it. And it's good. You know, it's got his face around. Hopefully hey, someone Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've raised awareness. Like people yeah. are now aware that that guy is there and that he's on the loose and that he's a potential drug dealer. So uh, he, like Gwen Police decided that it was not all done and they put up a comment saying our advice is to be as careful in social media as you would in any other form of communication if you say something about someone which is grossly offensive or is of an indecent obscene or menacing character then you could be investigated by the police like just like this guy exactly like shouldn't you be finding that guy yeah <laughs> like, shouldn't you be finding the finding drug dealer and I don't, yeah, I don't know that these people commenting should be on the same level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, and if there's one thing that's definitely not going to stop an internet pile on, it's the police asking people to stop commenting. Yeah, I don't think the, yeah, they're yeah. not fussed about the police. All right, so Gwen Police, that is my nomination for the Howard Peck Villain Award. Sorry, Adam, All right. you've got one? My one. So there was a senior civil servant from the Northern Ireland office in Belfast yep. recently who just got paid $10,000 in compensation and because it was because he had to walk past portraits of the Queen every day and he said that breached his human rights. Uh, as a result, uh, all the portraits have been taken down. Yep. And yeah, he's 10000 bucks. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So the guy's name's Lee Haggerty and yeah, as you said, just like I, my human right is to not walk past the Queen every day. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So I just thought instead of uh, the government giving him $10,000, I thought a few other things would be to recommend that he take a different route uh, if he yeah. doesn't like walking past the Queen. Uh, maybe avert your eyes to not, the yeah, floor not look as at you it. walk. Uh, or where he knows where it is. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't be surprised day They're not in, putting surprise out. pictures of the Queen, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the bathroom <laughs> yeah. stalls. They and- move it every day just yeah. to screw this guy. It's like, oh, oh, too late. No, you saw it. It's there every day. You know exactly where it is and you know that it's going to offend you. Yep. Don't go there. Don't look at it. And I don't know, like most pictures of the Queen, I haven't seen any that are particularly offensive. They're yeah. usually quite reserved. Yeah, very, exactly. You know, like she's not exactly uh, wearing a shirt that's going to have <laughs> yeah. an offensive slogan yeah, on it. Or, there's no uh, violence. Yeah, in it. exactly. Uh, and again, it's like, it's the office in Northern Ireland, not Ireland. Like she is mm. the queen of Northern Ireland. Yeah. That's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> so yeah, interesting story. All right. Uh, that is it for the start of the show. We're now going to go to our interviews with Matthew Lesh and Henry Spinks. So yeah, we're going to be talking to Matthew all about freedom of speech on campus and Henry about his uh, problems with government red tape. Let's go to those now. Okay, we now welcome onto the show via Skype the head of research at the Adam Smith Institute and adjunct fellow of the Institute of Public Affairs, Matthew Lesh. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. All right, so it's been a full two weeks since you were last on. We've missed you terribly here on the show. Uh, any major life updates you want to tell us about in these last two weeks? Uh, maybe any updates on Brexit? Uh, it's It's been a roller coaster. Uh, of emotions these two weeks it's actually so what what in um in the uk but i suppose in more so in europe is august is is a dead month um it feels like basically everyone's left town everything's quiet the weather's nice kind of good relaxing i did see the australian men's cricket team 
last night, uh, our Ashes Test 1 victory. And in the same room, there was also maybe some, some major cricket fans, like uh, former Prime Minister John Howard, also there with Peter Costello. Um, I don't think I saw them talk during the evening, but they were certainly both very close to each other. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was good to be able to celebrate with a bunch of the Brits all getting photos with the Australian cricket team. So it was quite funny. Yeah, because uh, I know you are a huge cricket, uh, cricket tragic. So were you able to uh, tell any of the players <laughs> on the stage? I know you can tell every single politician in the room. I could I could spot most of the politician and, and none of the players, but they were all wearing their their formal wear so that they were pretty recognizable. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Uh, I want to talk to you about a bunch of things, but it's going to come down to the one theme, which is freedom of speech on campus and the influence of the uh, CCP, the Communist Party. Um, and first off, I just like uh, Confucius centers, they were tiny, like they were sort of a, a niche political story and they're now becoming quite popular and quite influential as a news story. So why don't we get into like, what is a Confucius center? Just let's start there. Yeah, so so that's a good question. So the Confucius Centers, I think it, I think it's right that they've, they're starting to grab a little bit more attention in this story about how uh, the Chinese Communist Party does its global influence. So the Confucius Centers are technically billed as kind of culture and language centers, uh, providing uh, education to universities either by providing courses uh, formally through the university or additional educational opportunities. Technically, they're designed. Uh, again, to, to promote the general cultural understanding of, of China. Um, but there, there's, a, there's a bit of a smelly undertone here, which is that they're all funded um, and controlled by what's called the Hanban, which is a, an organization in China that is owned and, and fully funded by the Ministry of Education. Um, and it's the, the Chinese officials and propaganda officials have admitted in the past that they are part of the, the, the kind of global propaganda effort of the regime, in a sense. And what these centres do is they strategically um, focus in on culture, on language, on a purely positive perspective of China in, an, in a very non-critical way. There'll be no discussion of Tiananmen Square, of China's lack of democracy, of what's going on in Hong Kong. They're, they're purely designed to hide away anything negative about China and put forward a purely positive world view. Uh, and the, the nature of them as well is the fact that they're actually, in terms of who the directors are, one of the directors will be an Australian university-appointed director. So the Confucius Centres are uh, actually at a base at universities. There's about 11 based universities in Australia, including uh, universities like the University of Melbourne, University of Queensland, uh, University of Sydney, some, or basically all the, the top universities, um, or many of the top universities in Australia. So they'll have these one kind of locally appointed director, but they'll also have uh, a, effectively a Chinese state-appointed director, somebody who's appointed by the Hanban. Um, and there's, there's evidence of how these centres are used in coordination uh, with local diplomatic efforts uh, in Australia, in other places. Um, there's even one Confucius centre, and this is quite bizarre, integrated into the New South Wales Department of Education, trying to create Chinese educational op opportunities in, in New South Wales schools, not even higher education, but in schools. Uh, I think it's quite bizarre. I suspect the motivation of the universities to some extent is the fact that they are funded. It's a, it's a cheap way to, to get Chinese language skills and, and, and Chinese um, connections into the university. But I do worry that they're potentially compromising the, the academic and the 
dependence of the university and, and the links that they contain can be problematic. Yeah, so what is the relationship between these Confucius centres and universities? Is it like a strong level of funding? We Do we know any of this stuff? So it's not precisely clear because the contracts actually, uh, for the most part, between the Confucius centres and the universities haven't been released. So we're, we're not often going to know precisely how they're funded. I think they're largely funded by the Chinese government through the Hanban. There might also be some domestic funding that's, that's used to support it as well. But it's, it's one of these things that's, that's not exactly clear and, and, and isn't very well publicised, um, which I think is something the universities should absolutely be disclosing. Yeah, so when did you start to get an idea that they posed a threat to academic freedom? So... Uh, there's been quite a lot of discussion about the Confucius Centres uh, in the United States. There's, there's been some quite in-depth reports done that have looked at the kind of contracts, have managed to get a hold of some of the contracts and the generic templates they use for their relationships with universities. So th- there were some reports I was reading uh, a couple of years ago now from, from the US. Um, there was also this fascinating case uh, at Victoria University where it emerged of some evidence that potentially... Uh, the Confucius Centre had been involved in trying to influence the university to not show uh, a film critical of the Chinese government. Uh, so that the kind of brought to, to line this idea that although they, they claim to be there for political reasons, once you start putting a bunch of people effectively appointed uh, by the Chinese government into universities, the, the influence that can have subsequently on the university culture and the university's actions can be illiberal in nature. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about, because this is now becoming a huge issue in the wake of the pro-Hong Kong protests that are taking place at Australian universities. And I want to narrow in on what happened at the University of Queensland. So do you want to talk about uh, the videos that you saw and the response that you saw as well? Yeah. So there was this, I shouldn't guess, probably about uh, three or so weeks ago now, where there were these kind of ongoing protests. I think the first one was now a couple months ago by some pro-Hong Kong students as well as, so I say all pro-Hong Kong students, but a mixture of Hong Kongers and Australian domestic students who had some concerns about uh, the Chinese government. They organised a protest a couple months ago that was then subsequently told that they couldn't host it at first because it was controversial and they were allowed to host it. Um, so that was kind of the initial UQ response. And then this really came to, to public attention uh a couple of weeks ago when they held a protest that actually then got counter-protested. So there were a few hundred pro-Chinese Communist Party students as well as a few hundred pro-Hong Kong students. And that, rather than kind of being a peaceful exchange of ideas, turned extraordinarily violent. And some of, some of the footage is, is truly shocking with um, people grabbing each other by the neck, uh, the punch-ons happening on campus, and this kind of extraordinary conflict that you just wouldn't expect to see in, in normal circumstances at Australian universities, particularly in this context. Um, so that really brought to, to the national debate and, and highlighted the fact that there is this debate going on campus. What it kind of showed, and this is part of a, a bigger narrative of Australia's higher education sector, there are now over 150,000 Chinese international students. It's a huge part. It's about 40% of our $34 billion international student market. Uh, and that creates a constituency at universities. Um, and in, for the most part, it's it's a non-problematic constituency of people who, who are coming to Australia to learn, 
to, to embed, embed themselves in our culture. It's probably actually quite positive in some ways that a, a large number of Chinese people have an experience of Australia. But it also has this negative undertone in the sense that uh, the Chinese government, and this is what um, Clive Hamilton showed in his book, Silent Invasion, will put a lot of work in to try to influence and ensure that their students in Australia stay aligned with the party line so that they don't get bad ideas in their head in the Chinese ideas of about democracy or freedom. And what happened is this extraordinary scene where um, somehow, very rapidly, a few hundred counter-protesters managed to, to show up and, and start literally violently and physically counter-protesting people who are critical of China. It then even became more bizarre when the Chinese Consulate General in, in Brisbane put out a statement um, is supporting the violent actions, describing them as patriotic and, and saying the pro-Hong Hong Kong students had ulterior motives. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the... Like democracy? Uh, the, just, yeah, well, ulterior motives like democracy and freedom. How shocking. And it just happened that the Chinese Consulate General uh, in Brisbane was a, a, an honorary professor at UQ, just recently appointed. So there's quite strong links between the Consulate General and the university. And it was interesting as well then that the university's statements, particularly initially, were pretty weak in terms of supporting its students and supporting free speech. So there seems to be some kind of uncomfortable relationships that have formed uh, within the universities and, and whether it's kind of actively or, or because they're worried about potentially losing some of that um, international student market, they're willing to uh, have their principles undermined. So, yeah, so why did UQ decide that they weren't going to support the Hong Kong students and the pro-Hong Kong students with that one? Well, so what's kind of interesting is, is universities these days claim to have uh, a series of uh, very strong values and, and proposals that they support. And usually it's around something about diversity and, and, and equity. Um, often you see very little in there about the university's support for, for democracy and, and liberalism and freedom. And I think the university uh, basically did a, a kind of there's good people on both sides kind of response where they said they expect out of the Trump uh, South and students. Exactly. Well, exactly. Although admittedly, even Trump um, was a little bit more on the side of freedom in a lot of uh, instances. So the statement the university put out said staff and students are expected to express their views in a lawful and respectful manner and in accordance with the policies and values of the university. Uh, it's then worth having a look at exactly what the policies are of the university. So one of the university policies um, in its discrimination and harassment policy explicitly forbids uh, offensive language based on national or ethnic origin. Now, that could be interpreted by the university's administrators to actually effectively forbid criticising the actions of the Chinese Communist Party because criticism of the Chinese government could actually genuinely offend someone based upon their national origin. So it's not like the university's policies are particularly well designed to protect free expression and, and protect the, the rights to express a, a contrarian opinion, even if some people do happen to find that offensive. Um, the UQ is also yet to sign up to the, the French statement, the, the French principles on, on free speech. So I just don't think they have a particularly shining record when it comes to, to supporting the, the rights of their students to protest in this case. 
Now, when we talk about the <coughs> University of Queensland and uh, the pro-CCP protest that came out of nowhere, now, is there any sort of uh, formal body that's able to amass students like that or we understand that's like a grassroots thing? Well, I, I suspect it's a little bit more astroturfing than, than grassroots, uh, but I'm, I'm honestly not sure we've quite worked out uh, what caused that sudden surge of people. Presumably there are some kind of group WeChat kind of group chats or, or something along those lines that have quite a number of students in them and, and they were encouraged to turn out. I, as far as I'm aware, I don't think that the Chinese Student Society or something along those lines formally organised the, the counter-protest. It just happened to be a few hundred people showed up. So clearly there was some kind of coordination. It's just not clear that there was a formal group behind that. Yeah, because like here's what I'm saying is like you've, on one side you've got these Confucius centers which have money from the government in China, not s saying you can't speak about Tiananmen Square, you can't speak about Tibet or Taiwan, and then on the other side you've got these um, students who are more than willing to intimidate people that want to stand up for freedom, stand up for Hong Kong, and the universities can't really like they're not putting themselves in a position on either of those fronts to stand up for principles like freedom, principles like democracy, and freedom of speech. I mean, you would think at its core, university literally exists to support free speech because you need that free speech to have the debate, to do uh, effective research, to teach people, to learn ideas through the conflicts that, that exist out there um, when it comes to co controversial ideas. Unfortunately, universities don't quite seem to be willing to do that. Another element here that I found quite interesting... <coughs> sorry. Another element here I found quite interesting was the fact that the Chinese students kind of put their terminology in, in their claim about being victims as well. They claimed that they were being uh, somehow undermined by the fact that somebody was expressing an alternative viewpoint. And this is suddenly actually where you see a bit of overlap in terms of strategy between a lot of uh, the contemporary left on campus who will constantly be talking about how they're a victim and, and how there's all these isms that are going on against them and then you see this kind of same reaction uh, from some of the the Chinese pro-communist party students where they want to be the victims as well they're kind of buying into this victimology because they know it might grab them some sympathy to the point where and there's no better term than useful idiot to describe it the the Australian campus greens and the Australian campus socialist alternative put out a statement pro-CCP pro an autocratic Chinese communist party regime due, due to a kind of woke sense in which if you criticize the CCP, it must be racist in nature, um, which is, is absolutely absurd, but clearly did garner some sympathy as, as a narrative to play that victim card. But I think it's if quite I stand up against you... like what China's doing to the, the Muslims in their nation, I'm suddenly a racist now. Well, I, I think so. I think that's that's the only only way to conclude here. Um, if, if you sign up for the, the rights of the Uyghurs, you're, you're definitely... Uh, racist against Chinese, I, I, I guess. It's it's just so ridiculous, as, as you say it aloud, isn't it? But you've got that kind of woke worldview where you have to try to assess something based upon who you think the bigger oppressors are in any given situation, and that can sometimes lead to very perverse results. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, what do you reckon <coughs> is a bigger threat to freedom of speech on campus today? Is it the influence of the CCP, or is it these trigger warnings and safe space movements? Uh, so I think it, it's kind of a little bit different. I think we're seeing different issues flare up at different times. In my head, I suspect the biggest underlying issue we've got 
is a lack of diversity of viewpoint, which is to say, uh, more or less, putting aside the kind of Chinese Communist Party influence that you can have, and that that will be pervasive in some circumstances, you've got the situation where really across subjects and, and across times, the more or less, the, the vast majority of particularly academics and even the majority of students probably have a pretty consistent kind of liberal left inner city cosmopolitan worldview. And I think that over time has led to an unacceptability on campus of expressing uh, what might be a classical liberal or a conservative or a libertarian worldview quite often. Um, and then I think the, the interaction of these issues is that if the universities aren't particularly culturally set up to deal with hearing a contrarian libertarian viewpoint, they're not going to be that well set up to hear a contrarian anti-communist party viewpoint uh, of China viewpoint, because it, if they're buying the same logic about something needing to be censored if it causes offence, um, they're going to apply that to both the, the what the libertarian says, but also what the Hong Konger says. So we end up with this kind of consistent um, lack of cultural respect for expressing a different viewpoint. So you, so you get this this issue combining together in some ways. Uh, so with, with the Hong Kong protests in general, for every awesome video we see out of Hong Kong of people taking a stand, there's also a, a subsequent terrifying video from, uh, you know, uh, police brutality and forces massing in uh, Shenzhen. So what do you reckon is going to happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Um, you, we've got some extraordinary scenes. I, I saw a video yesterday of uh, the protesters, I think it was at, at Hong Kong airport, um, singing Can You Hear the People Sing from Les Mis um, and trying to have their voice heard. And it's it's just a, a beautiful sight to watch people willing to, to stick up their hand for, for democracy and freedom. The, the problem is, uh, realistically, that this, this the power of might is not on their hands. Um, the, the, this is underlying risk, I think, of the Chinese military intervening and, and trying to turn Hong Kong into some kind of a police state if they think things are getting out of hand against them. And I unfortunately, I'm, I'm worried that the, the Chinese government in Beijing just won't compromise and, and won't provide more democracy to the Hong Kongers. I know that's sadly quite a pessimistic worldview, and, and I think their protesting is, is extremely admirable. I'm just not sure how this ends particularly well. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So my last question is going to be, uh, what does it say about universities that they're willing to take the Confucius Center money, but not also willing to take the Ramsey Foundation money, which was uh, the foundation set up to have a course on Western civilization at campus? Well, yeah, of course, they're, they're willing to take money from the Chinese government for the Confucius Centers. Uh, there's, there's cases of taking money from Middle Eastern and Gulf countries to fund Islamic study centers. Uh, it just seems like at times they're the only a civilization that can't be studied is Western civilization. Now, of course, there have been some deals reached, we, we should acknowledge. Um, at, was it Wollongong? There's been a deal struck, even even at UQ in recent weeks. Um, I think the universities are right to say, well, we have to maintain our institutional autonomy and, and we have to ensure that this reaches academic standards. I think it just has to be the same principle applied across to all centres and, and all funding that they accept. And I think there can be a bit of inconsistency uh, which is worrying at times. Yeah, I'm great with you on that. All right, Matthew, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, we now welcome on to the show a young entrepreneur from Queensland who I really want to speak to because this is an interesting story about government rape. So, Henry Spinks, welcome on to the show. 
Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me. All right, sweet. So let's talk about it because uh, the story I heard was that you were setting up a business where uh, it's like Sphinx Co. You had a Cadillac and uh, it was going to be like a chauffeur thing for weddings and formals and stuff like that. So is that the idea? What did you want to do with this business? Yeah, correct. So we got the car sort of three years ago and the idea with the purchase was always to set up a chauffeuring business for school formals, weddings, um, any sort of special occasion really. And uh, it wasn't until June last year where I got onto my open driver's license where I could apply uh, for a book tire service license um, for my car for the purposes of chauffeuring. And uh, in October uh, last year, Department of Main Roads called me up realising they'd made a mistake uh, in the fact that my car was a left-hand drive vehicle and shouldn't have been approved. And as a result, they cancelled my book tie service licence. So you get the green light from the government. You go ahead. All right, sweet. We've got the website set up. I'm going to start making money for this Cadillac. And then the government turns around and says, actually, no, that's not the case. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, we <laughs> spent a lot of time and money on the car and setting up the business. I had the website all good to go and a lot of other promotional bits and pieces. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd done like a formal or two in, in that short space of time. Uh, just getting my feet off the ground and uh, yeah in October got a got an unfortunate phone call and basically they said you need to suspend um, operations immediately and uh, until further notice and yeah uh, so but uh, when I was on the Queensland website I saw that left-hand drive vehicles are actually legal in Queensland if uh, you know you, there is a way you can drive left-handed car vehicles in Queensland it helps tourists get around and stuff like that so why were you singled out for okay you can't make money off this okay so you can't so you correct you can drive a left-hand drive vehicle um, in Queensland like provided it's 30 years old just for general use. But for the specific purposes of weddings, formals, um, which all falls under the book tire service license, which is more or less the same as Uber, um, unless you held a limousine license way back in 2016 and have since retained it, you can no longer um, provide these sort of services with a classic American car that's left-hand drive. So there's absolutely no way a you know a young person such as yourself or someone that just uh, wants to get into the business can get into the business because they've said, all right, 2016, that's our cutoff date. No more new people. Correct. That's that's exactly right. And I've and I've been disputing it um, for a long time now. Actually, a couple of months ago, I had a QCAT mediation um, with uh, some of the managers um, from Department of Main Roads, and you know we we spoke for three hours trying to dig through any piece of legislation that might have some sort of loophole or provide alternatives for people like myself. And at this point in time, there is currently no alternative whatsoever. It's completely ruled out. Yeah, that see that this is like really sad for me because this is you know you you're trying to get a business off. You love the Cadillac; it's a beautiful looking car. I can imagine that there's a lot of people out there who would love to have uh, the Cadillac drive them to the formal, drive them to a wedding, and you can't get ahead. Like, has there been any sort of indication from any government source that they might think about changing these laws? Yeah, they did mention that um, because of the sort of number of people they've affected and even though it is a relatively small industry, a sort of niche market, as you say, it's still something really cool to do on a special occasion. And I think they've come down and cracked down hard on all these left-hand drive cars um, for no reason. It's not as though an incident happened or anything along those lines. 
So they did say, yes, that it was under review. Um, however, there is absolutely no indication as to when um, they'll make any changes to it. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, for you as a young entrepreneur, someone that wants to get ahead in the game, like, what is your take out from the whole experience? I mean, you're in front of people are talking for three hours. You're up against all this government red tape. Like, I mean, surely this sort of tells you, hey, this is going to be a tough thing if I want to start making money off these cars. Oh, correct. It's, it was just such a lengthy process, even to get to the stage of um, having all the applications approved. Like, I needed to submit... Um, I think it was three separate applications, not just for the car, but to um, be able to provide those services under the business name and, and um, you need an, like an industry authority and all, and all sorts of bits and pieces, had to go get medicals um, just to be able to submit the applications. And then once they all went through, um, I thought, you know, that'd be the end of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to, to get into and it's incredibly frustrating the amount of hoops you have to jump through for such a seemingly simple business idea yeah this is just the thing and like the ipa finds and stuff with all of our red tape work is that the people that get hurt the most is always going to be people that are trying to take a risk trying to start a new business and yeah someone such as yourself is like i really love this car i want other people to experience the same joys i have this this car I mean, the government should be in the business of saying, all right, sweet, how do we help you out with that? But instead it just turns around and says, uh, okay, here's 500 hoops you're going to have to jump through and also uh, we cut you off in 2016, so don't even bother. Um, I mean, that's a really, yeah, it's it's such an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. So uh, is there anything listeners who might want to help out or might want to like, you know, uh, get involved with a business in some ways or anything they can do? Oh, mate, to be honest, at this point in time, I'm not entirely sure. Um, as I mean, the, the most people could do out there is just sort of keep demanding, um, you know, interest in left-hand drive cars so we can sort of turn around and say um, to any governing bodies, hey, look, you know, people are still dead keen to be able to have an experience like this. Why have you completely taken it away and yep. ruled it out? So, Yeah. Absolutely. Is there a Facebook page people can like the page and maybe if it turns around, they can book the car out? Uh, yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Um, the Facebook page is Sphinx Co Classic and uh, it's the same on Instagram as well. So if anyone wants to check it out, um, it's been a bit dead there for a long time now, but th that's my page. And if anything changes, they'll uh, be sure to know. All right, sweet. Uh, Henry, thanks so much for calling in. Incredible story. Uh, really appreciate it and good luck. My pleasure. My pleasure, James. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Matthew Lesh and Henry Spinks for those interviews. Really interesting stuff. So, yeah, make sure you're heading over to Henry's Facebook page if you want to help out the cause, maybe read a bit more about it because, you know, great kid, great interview, and we want to do everything we can to help him out with that. All right, uh, let's run through some stories that have made us laugh this week, and then we'll head over to the quiz. So I want to start with this one, and it's not so much makes me laugh, it makes me um, exceedingly angry, yep. I think would be the word. It's a frustrating uh, So... There's a movie that was about to come out called The Hunt, and it's from the people that bought us uh, The Purge and Get Out. Like, you know, pretty popular movies. Big movies. Yeah, big movies uh, with a constant theme of you've got a very marginalised group in society uh, who overthrow people that are doing them wrong. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do something different with the this one. It was originally going to be called Red State, Blue State, but basically the idea was the characters of the film were going to be people that would have voted for Trump. They were in flyover country in the USA and they're being hunted by liberal elites and they 
go back and fight them off. And like that was obviously clear from the trailer. But unfortunately to Fox News and to Donald Trump, this has been completely missed because I think it's like 21 different segments on Fox News have been aired talking about how this film glorifies the killing of Republicans and it shouldn't be aired because of this. And then Donald Trump says, this is the stuff that incites violence. We can't have this movie coming out. And now the producers have said, okay, we're not releasing the movie. Like that movie will never come out. Very disappointing. Because we can't have nice things. It looks really good. Yeah. It looked like great actors. Yes. uh, I think, um, I can't remember. Hilary Swank was one of them. Uh, But anyway, like, you know, we talk about outrage culture on the left and we talked about Sarah Silverman earlier, Mm -hmm. but this is outrage culture on the right where you are so blind to irony and you're so like the the jukes are so up looking for a fight that something like this comes along and you think that's the enemy. I'm going to get outraged about that and suddenly it's shut down. Like it's it's on both sides now. They have like gotten themselves. They've fooled themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like I can see the movie getting delayed in the wake of El Paso and Dayton. Mm -hmm. I completely get that. But to the scrapping the day after Trump tweets about it, it's like there's a clear link between Trump and Fox News talking about this movie and it getting pulled. Yeah. So yeah, we can't have nice things anymore. Not at all. Because outrage culture on both sides. Anyway, that's disappointing. That's my rant. I'm done. I've channeled the Pete get angry rant. so that's that. All right, Adam, let's lighten up the mood with a bit of uh, Caroline Lucas. All right, well, Caroline Lucas, she's the uh, Green MP in the British Parliament, and uh, she called for an all-female cabinet to block Brexit, you know, first yep. time ever. Very brave stand. Very brave stand. Yep. Can't trust men to do it. Got to be all-female. Yeah, so she was really going out on a limb here, and now she's been slammed because while she might have all women, she doesn't have any black women. Wow. So Missed that one. Diverse, but... Not diverse enough. Yeah. Big swing and a miss. I love the woke Olympics like this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you think you've made a brave stand? Here's my even braver stand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be louder and more aggressive than your one. And I'd like to point out that a cabinet's only so big. Yeah. You can't have everyone in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, <laughs> all right, we don't have, you know, this ethnicity. Yeah. It's just going to keep going. Yeah, exactly. Like, there will be one group that won't be represented. Yeah, there's going to have to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just woke Olympic stuff. I mean, honestly, keep it coming because it's always going to be good. All right. Uh, that is it for the stuff. Well, well, actually, so the next thing I want to do is, so we got this really fun competition happening with Generation Liberty, which is all the stuff we do with young people. So if you're not already a fan of the Generation Liberty Facebook page, head over, like the page. Uh, so basically, Generation Liberty have these stubby holders, which is absolutely awesome. So you've got Thomas Sowell, Margaret Thatcher, and Sir George Reid already. They've got quotes as well. You might have seen, we put on Instagram photos with Nigel Farage, having them uh, Raheem Kassam having them over at CPAC they got a feature on Sky News as well so you know you can go uh, to the Facebook page right now the IPA's Facebook page you can go to Generation Liberty's Facebook page or you can go to the Institute of Public Affairs on Instagram we're running this really cool competition if you name the first person sorry name the person you think should be the fourth Generation Liberty stubby holder and what quote you'd use and the best answer we say is going to get all three for free. Really cool uh, stubby holder. So, yeah, make sure you're heading over to the Facebook pages or Instagram, whichever way you want to connect with us and get in on the competition. Uh, now, Adam, that is it for your time with the podcast. Well, not I'm done. You know, in this seat. Like, in we want to seat. involve you with a few other things, but in, in Peter Gregory's. Pretending to be seat. Pete. Yeah, exactly. Pretending to be Pete, which you're doing a much better job than Pete actually does at being Pete. So, have you Rough. learned anything? Well, you know, accurate. Uh, so with Pete coming back next week, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be wanting his chair back even if he I will. don't want to give it to him. Uh, but yeah, any reflections you want to have on your couple of weeks here or do you want to uh, maybe something you've learned? Uh, well, I've actually come to the conclusion I think this is, this is easier than you guys make it look. Uh, it is. Yeah. 
Peter and I put up a big song and dance every week about how hard the podcast is. Yeah, no. Nah. But Adam's saying... All you have to do, roll in. <laughs> have, a, have a chat. It's easy. In my defence, I do give you a pretty uh, detailed note point. True. Yeah, you do fill me in very <laughs> thoroughly. All right, sweet. Adam, it's been absolutely awesome having you. So, um, yeah, we're going to have Pete back next week. Make sure everyone's going and checking out So Fox. Very cool band. I know a lot of our listeners are writing in saying how much they like liking the songs that we've been playing of yours. Thanks, guys. Uh, and, you know, like them on Facebook so you can keep up to date with gigs. So, Adam, thanks a lot. Thanks for having and me. And after this brief interlay, we're going to be coming back with the IPA quiz, our Young IPA podcast quiz. All right, welcome back to Hey, What Did We Miss? The Young IPA quiz. Uh, we've now got intro music, which I'm really loving. Uh, sorry, what this is, and for people that haven't heard the show before, so basically weekly quiz. We've got two IPA staff members here with us now. We've got returning champion, director of policy, Gideon Rosner. Welcome, welcome back. And then we've got national manager of our Generation Liberty program, Renee Gordon. Renee, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Now, uh, you've just been in America, so you're a bit worried that you're behind uh, the eight ball here, so you also want to work off a handicap. So, Gideon, do you have any uh, trash talk that you want to get out of the way early? No, no, I saved my trash talking <laughs> for the water cooler. <laughs> All right, fantastic. All right, sorry. What this is, yeah, weekly quiz. So, one point for each answer. I've got nine questions here and a who am I? Uh, so, yeah, we'll start off right now. We all good? Yep. So, for buzzers, we're just going to get you to say your first name. So, yep. let's get a quick buzzer check. Gideon. Gideon. Renee. Cool. I can do that. Uh, all right. So, question one. According to our latest report, Reg Data Australia, how many regulatory restrictions in federal law and regulations uh, were there as of 2015? This was in the Australian this morning. Yeah, I should really know that. You sh really should I know really that. I really should, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, that's uh, very concerning for both of you. That's got to be uh, – everyone needs to know that here at the IPA. It is 95,000 as of 2015, right, which is an explosion. You've, you've saved me reading the odds today. There we go. Uh, all right, sorry. Uh, question two, all right? So it's still nil all draw. Renee, everything to play for. Gideon, everything to lose. Uh, question two, which US institution did we do the report with? Renee. Renee. George Mason University. Dang. Renee, Not specific enough. Oh, all right. More challenge. detail. No, you can you can have a. Uh, She's already got the point. If you want to flex on us and say <laughs> what centre it is, you should have said which specific centre at the George Mason University. Oh. oh. Cool. All right, Gideon, come on, flex come away. On. The Mercator Centre yeah, at George Mason. Oh, yes, Renee still that. gets the point. Renee yep. still gets the point. But Gideon, nice flex. Okay. Uh, all right. So, what date does Boris Johnson promise to bring in Brexit? Renee. Oh, that was. That was me. Come that on. Was, oh, uh, I think I got to give it to Renee. Yeah, that was so nice. close. She got the R out. Uh, October 31st. Halloween. 2-0. All right, 2-0. Right, well, this uh, is too close for sorry, comfort. I don't related. like this. What percentage of Brits would be okay suspending Parliament to get through Brexit? Points if you get it within the nearest 5%. Renee? Renee. 60%? Or, and what would your guess be? Closest to the mark is going to get the point. 70%. All right, so now it's 52. But isn't that wild? Like, I'm that is a down. lot of people that would be okay. Like, Parliament, donate it. As long as we yeah, get Brexit. Yeah, I guess the 70% cares? of people suspending Parliament would yeah, be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so it's 52. And, and ironic, that's, that's, that's the number of people who, that's the proportion who voted for Brexit. Yeah, so sorry, Brexit they still want breakfast. it and they want it even breakfast. more. Bre Brexit meant Brexit. All right. So Brexit meant breakfast is a really good slogan. Okay, right? this is why neither of you <laughs> were appointed to the Brexit marketing team, right? <laughs> this, is, this is terrible and I'm <laughs> the less inclined to vote for Brexit or have breakfast. Uh, all right, sorry. Question, what are we up to? Five. All right, David Attenborough, 
friend of the show, I guess. David Attenborough ripped off the name of which IPA book? Gideon. For his new Climate Change the Facts. He did indeed. He's got a new documentary coming out called called Climate Change the Facts. That is a trademark infringement. I think so. If he really, yeah, if we trademarked it, I don't know. I don't really know the <laughs> trademark law, but uh, if, you, if they want real facts, they know where to go. All right, so Gideon, you're back on the board. Uh, all right, so question six: Which word caused CNN host Chris Cuomo Gideon. to flip out on a random member of the public Gideon. at a restaurant? Fredo. Fredo, correct. Uh, Fredo. Not, <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Well, Fredo, no. I think, would be the official pronouncement. But okay. the, like, basically, the idiot brother from the Godfather series. But anyway, <laughs> someone called Chris Cuomo that in the restaurant. He flipped out. He said it was like, a, you know, it's the a N-word. racist term. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I don't think it is, but, you know, I'm not. Well, I've never heard it before, but I'm not a Fredo myself. Or yeah, an exactly. myself. Uh, you've never betrayed the family. No. As Fredo did uh-huh. in. All right, sorry. Not th- that family. Three, two. Uh, question seven. Name the new Quentin Tarantino film coming out this Ooh. week. Renee. Renee. Uh, the American Dream. No. Or, oh, no, Hollywood something. Gideon, Once Gideon. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Dang. Oh, damn ah, it. I gave it. it to you. Yeah, yep. got the, <laughs> got the bus words out. You lose, Renee. So three all. And we're coming into the final three questions. So Ooh. this is getting spicy. All right. Uh, question uh, eight. Which friend of this podcast, Young IPA Podcast, which person who has sat with us was on Dave Rubin's show this week? Renee? No. Dennis Prager? <laughs> Not Dennis Prager. Couldn't tell you. All right, it's Brendan O'Neill. Oh. So ah. go Very back and listen the... to... Hello to Brendan. Yeah, hello to Brendan, friend of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so... I saw him in the US. Oh, you did? Yes. How was that? Yeah, I saw him at Freedom Fest in Vegas and he was actually seemed very relieved to um, be able to talk to someone who wasn't American. Oh, really? And was very... Um, complimentary of the work that the IPA does and made sure I sent a message back home about how much he loves us. Oh, awesome. Well, you know, Brandon, we love him. Yeah, big fan. All right. And uh, to make sure we have at least one leader before we get into the who am I, who won the first Ashes test? Gideon. Gideon. It was Australia. It was indeed. I didn't follow the cricket, but Gideon. I picked it up by osmosis from social media. It's been everywhere. Uh, 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 So, Gideon, we go into the who am I with Gideon on a a very narrow 4-3 lead. So, who am I for five points? Uh, I was born on the 13th of May, 1968. You will lose a point for an incorrect answer. Does, so does anyone want to get a silo off now? All right, so I was going over four. I entered Parliament in 2007. Mm-hmm. For people listening and not watching on YouTube, for people listening, the look of intensity. People, <laughs> these two want I, I, to win I, this. I'm far, I, yeah, <laughs> these two I'm in it to win want it. to win this. All right, question, on the line. So All for right, three next. points, my first ministry was Minister for Immigration and Border Protection. Renee. Renee. Scomo. Scomo. Oh, yes. is. Renee takes it. All right, so we have a new champion, Renee, fresh <laughs> off uh, the plane from the US, has bested Gideon Rosner. So Gideon. Thank you for playing, Renee. Congratulations. You will have to defend your title next quiz. So looking forward to that. And that is it for the Young IPA podcast this week. So thank you to Matthew Lesh. Thank you to Henry Spinks. And thanks again to Adam. It's been so good having him on the show for the last three weeks. Pete is back next week. And thank you to Gideon and thank you to Renee. Uh, All right, see you guys next week.